0: Welcome to the Orangewood Church Podcast. We are so happy you're joining us today, and wherever you are, we hope you leave feeling encouraged and confident that God is moving. Good morning, church. Um, Next Sunday, just so you guys know, will be um, the message of messages you will ever hear. Emily is speaking next week, and it's her last official day on staff at that point, so we're putting the pressure on really thick for her to, her to do well. Um, no, but be a part of next Sunday as we, uh, well, I guess let Emily graduate into the next season of life. There we go. We'll keep that going. Um, all things new, right? New things are happening. I want to give you guys a really brief update on where we're at with our new location and what's happening with all that stuff. Our permits are in a bit of a holding pattern until the final couple of things get done and checked off on. So those of you who pray, hopefully all of you here, spend some time this week praying for these two things. Um, One, that a new set of eyes sees our map. Because on the map or whatever they want to call the official location thing for us, it appears to be that when they drew in the floodplain, the person who originally drew the map, their pen just kind of went over by like an inch or two, which shows like two feet on our location. So like it shows we have a floodplain, which we don't. Um, But you just follow the mark that they wrote on the other property, and it just kind of goes over the line just a little bit. So we have to get that resolved, which isn't a huge deal, but it's there. The other one is a bit of a bigger deal, and I want you guys to pray about this. Uh, we, uh, Our architect is fighting like crazy because in the little situation that we find ourselves in, uh, one of the greatest selling points of this building was that it didn't have a fire sprinkler system and didn't need one. And now the city's going, you might need one. Um, but we don't need one according to what's in the coding stuff. So it's just... We need a new set of eyes to see that um, because those are pretty pricey and we don't want to pay for one of those. Um, So be praying for that. Um, Yeah. It's going to be good. And I believe it'll get covered, but there we go. Just want to let you guys know where we're at with all that. Um, If you happen to drive by it, it might look like all sorts of different colors of paint because they're painting the outside. It's starting to look different. It's starting to create a buzz from what I'm hearing from other people. So it's exciting. Uh, new things are happening. But that's where we are. That's the latest and greatest on our building. And uh, if you have any, any questions at all between now and the time we move into that place, by all means, grab a board member, grab myself, and we'll let you know what's going on. Um, we're kind of in the middle and the throes of all this. So we, we talk about it a lot, especially Judy and I, we're, we're talking here and there and dealing with our contractor and everything else. So we kind of feel like we talk about it enough, but I know sometimes, sometimes you guys don't always hear it. So if you're ever like just wondering, ask and we'll let you know. That'd be great. Um, so this morning we are finishing up our series of moving into Pentecost because today is the day in the church calendar that we celebrate the day of Pentecost. Great moment in the history of the church, right? It, it really is good. And we have been journeying through this for the last, uh, I was told, seven weeks. Um, I've never really done a, a series that long, so I just kind of lost count. Um, so there we are. And so like, we've talked about a number of different things. Um, courage over doubt. When we talked about that story of Thomas, like when we call him like the doubting Thomas, does he always have to be doubting? Do we always look at him that way? Is that the right way to look at him? incredible time, right? Uh, hospitality, faith over fear, living on the kingdom on earth. We, last week talked about uh, heaven and what that could even look like. And it all kind of culminates into Acts chapter 2 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up there. Uh, we're not going to waste too much time getting around there. We're going to jump right into the story. And we're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. now they were staying in jerusalem now sorry now they were staying in jerusalem god-fearing jews from every nation under heaven when they heard the sound a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken utterly amazed they asked aren't all these who are speaking galileans then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language uh, parthians medes elamites Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Phrygia, anyone? We're going to call it good. Uh, Pamphylia, Pamphylia, another one like that, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? All right, what does it mean? It is still a very relevant question today as it was then. And to paint the picture a little bit, you kind of have to understand what's happening and understand, we're going to recap really quickly what happened in Acts chapter 1 and even up before all then. Jesus has ascended into heaven after 40 days of being on earth, after rising from the dead, after going to the cross, after spending three years in ministry, the ministry is called to do, growing up and being born in Bethlehem. Whew. All that time frame leading up to Acts chapter 1. So we're about 10 days after, in Acts chapter 2, the 40 days after the resurrection, the disciples have... Um, filled in the slot where Judas was as as a disciple. They found uh, Matthias. They cast lots for that. And now they're, they've been in the upper room for roughly 10 days, waiting and praying. It's an incredible, almost like in a timeline, kind of a fast-paced uh, order of things that have been happening. And so now I'd like for us just to Imagine just just take a moment, and, and I want you to put yourselves as an observer in the upper room. And if that's too hard, just think of yourself like in a small group and in a home. Now we're in Acts chapter two, and so if you if you put yourself in a, in a small group and a home, or if you're in the upper room right now, as an observer, seeing this unfold, and not just seeing it but hearing it, right? Wind, the sound of wind is a good indicator of our safety. A gentle breeze gets the leaves kind of rustling and we can go, oh, okay, I'm going to go sit under the tree. This is really, really great. When the wind is vibrating our windows and causing things to shake in our house, we don't go outside. Violent wind brings a whole different thing going on. We have microbursts here. Which is a, just an incredible moment and a lot of wind and a lot of power. Brings a lot of destruction. Shingles off roofs. Stuff in our yards all over the place. Everything littered into the streets, right? Like wind, when it sounds violent, is we step back. So they have the sound of a violent wind coming into the room. And not only that, but there's also fire coming down and separating. And again... Fire's great in a fireplace. Fire's great in a campground in a fire ring. But fire outside of where it needs to be contained causes us concern. So in this room, this incredible moment is happening. Is there a moment of fear? Is there something going on a little crazy? We don't really know. We've not really indicated on that. But just as an observer in this room, what would go through your mind? What's not written, but I believe is kind of assumed is that the disciples moved out of this room, right? But before then, well, no, not really before then. It's not written that they moved out of the room, but I I would assume that they did because all these other people started going, wait a minute, what are they doing? Which means that they weren't just stuck in this room, in this building. God moved, something happened, they went out. I don't know how they all decided to move out, like, because they're speaking different languages. So, like, it brings all these weird questions. Because I used to watch Star Trek growing up. Anyone else watch Star Trek: The Next Generation? Okay, I watched it again, like, as a kid growing up, and then I watched it as an adult. And the first question came to mind was: These guys are traveling to different planets and different sol- different systems and everything else. How is it that every every alien encounter they have they all speak English. <laughs> that seemed real. like, I still, like, that didn't bother me at all as a kid. Then I watched it, and I was like, what's happening? So did, did Peter and all the other disciples just understand each other, even though they're speaking different languages? Or did they just kind of, like, they're speaking languages and go, and start using, hand? I don't know what's going on in the room. Like, that's just, you know, my little weirdness of what, like, when I read the story, I'm kind of trying to figure it out. One thing, one thing I do know that didn't happen is that they didn't start speaking these languages and then sit down and try to figure out the five strategic key points of how to interact and be part of the culture. Nothing wrong with planning, being strategic and everything else. Type A, organizational people, like we love that. It's good stuff, right? But I think there's also like a, a really important factor. Sometimes when God moves, we don't need to try to figure it out. We just go and do and so the disciples in this room are happening, and rather than trying to figure it out, they just go. They get outside the room, and all of a sudden, they're causing all sorts of curiosity within the people around them. And it's all great, right? But like the big thing in here, one of the big things, because Acts chapter 2 is full of a lot of big things, is a question is asked, how are these people speaking this way? Aren't these people from Galilee? That doesn't make much sense to us. Like, why would we ask that question? That Galilee doesn't always resonate with us. But it goes back into John chapter 1, verse 46, where another stabbing question comes around. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Galilee is part of Nazareth, right? Like, so... You need to understand, well, okay, I picked on Blythe last time. I need another place to pick on that isn't, like, so apparently jarring and appalling. Aho. Can anything good come from Ajo? I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't know much about Ajo. If you're from Ajo, my apologies. Um, <laughs> Yuma, you know, whatever, you know. I'm an ASU fan, so I would say, can anything come from U of A? Like, yeah, see, like... It, <laughs> It starts, you know, it starts stabbing at the side. That's kind of what's going on here, right? So, can anything good come from Galilee? Why are they speaking like this way? It was a jab. It was, it wasn't good. A commentator that I read this week said this of Galileans: This is how Galileans were seen. They were ignorant, rude, and uncivilized. This is why the term Galilean was used in expression of the deepest reproach and contempt. Their dialect was proverbially barbarous and corrupt. Galileans were regarded as an outlandish people, unacquainted unacquainted with other names, nations, languages, and hence the amazement that they could address them in the refined language of other people. So their native ignorance was the occasion of marking and making this miracle even more striking. Galileans were not seen as the best of the best. Now, we're going to let our humanness come, come through a little bit. Be willing to bet, as I read that, some of you have probably filled in people who you know that can fit that definition or a group of people Here's the thing. We believe as a church miracles happen. Miracles do happen. But miracles come out of the places we least expect. We didn't expect God to heal in a certain way. We didn't expect that person to come and be the person they were going to be. We didn't expect whatever, but God worked. God worked through the people that were seen as the ignorant and the the not civilized. So the people that we can put in our own minds and our own hearts in that definition, maybe we should start expecting a miracle from them. Maybe we should start expecting God to really work through that and say, "Watch me work." Stop looking at them as useless or uncivilized, or whatever, and watch, watch me work through them. I think it's what makes Pentecost so incredible for us, is that we can put that definition on others, but realistically, that definition kind of fits within our own world and our own lives. At different times, we would probably all fit that definition of probably not the nicest individuals in the world, we probably fit the definition at times that we haven't been the most trusting people, or whatever you want to put that into. So, in essence, we have been the Galileans. And yet, here we are on a Sunday morning in this church, praising the name of God because God has worked a miracle in our own lives. Pentecost was also a bright moment, not just for highlighting the underdogs of society, but that God brought about this miraculous moment, and God was glorified even through the underdogs of society. I also kind of found that what I really liked was that this time of Pentecost also fit in line with the Feast of the Harvest or the the Feast of the First Fruits. And so just like just grasping the scope of Jesus' life on earth, the time frame was not happenstance. Jesus being born when he was born into this world, lived the life that he lived, was crucified, died, resurrected, and, and then back on this earth for 40 days, ascended into heaven, and then at that time, then we bring ourselves right into the feast of the first fruits, the feast of the harvest. God's timeline was not happenstance with these feasts and everything going on. Like God knew what he was doing. This feast of the first fruits is very symbolic of the very very beginnings of the church starting and in, in the New Testament church starting this moment where we have a job ahead of us. We are here to harvest. We're here to do something. We are here to be a part of what's going on. But still, like we ask ourselves at some points, right? Like Okay, so that's great. We're here to be a part of the harvest. We, we, we all kind of fit in the definition of the Galileans. We all kind of fit in, in all these different little things. We see that God works miracles, but how does this work? Because God, I'm one person in this entire world, and I know you've saved me, but how in the world do I, should I, can I, really even live in a way that might even resemble or reflect anything like an axe moment? Because there's this weird thing that we kind of do with ourselves, right? We we compare ourselves to what others do or what others have done. For right or for wrong, mostly we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to it all, but we do it. And and so, I think sometimes we look at Acts chapter two and we go, "That is such a great moment!" And like, see how wonderful that is. And like, we don't really see that much anymore. So, is God really working? Am I doing what I need to do? And we have these. Maybe maybe you had the internal struggle of like, God, what have you called me to do? Am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Maybe I just do that myself. I don't know, like, but here's the thing. I, I said it this whole entire time. Acts chapter 2 just didn't happen. That day of Pentecost didn't happen in the vacuum, and that's a miraculous moment, but the disciples and the people following Jesus up until that point were still doing miraculous things that weren't necessarily based upon just Acts chapter 2, and they continued to do great things for God, and it wasn't all based on just Acts chapter 2. It was based on their lives with Jesus. So how can I? How can we make a difference, right? And I think that's a big drive for all of us: is that we want to live in this world with purpose. We want to live in this world knowing that, like, one, when it's time for us to pass and graduate onto the next life—that is just a really great term. Thank you, Melissa, for doing that today. That's really just kind of helping in all sorts of things. When we graduate from this life into the next one, I like that so much better. Yeah. All right. Love you. Look, I'll be the first one to admit. My wife will agree that I'm a bit of a pessimist at times. Some will say, like, "Oh, here's the glass half full or half empty." I'm like, "That's really great. I see it as the glass can be knocked over and spilt. Um, either way, it's gonna make a mess. Um, it's not always great. I, I fight against it. Um, I think pessimism is another form. People say they're a realist. <laughs> no, you're not. You're a pessimist. Just own it. Um, and it's okay." It's who we are sometimes. But I say that because sometimes we ask the question, like, really, what can I do? How can I stop that? How can I make a difference in this? I sat down with an individual several months back, um, it was, and they were asking the question. They weren't very happy with uh, like the stimulus stuff going on. And I'm not going to get into the details of it, but my pessimistic side came out and said, how can you stop it? What? I said, look, you can, you can call governors, you can call your senator, you can call, you can email, you can rant and rave, but you're not going to stop that. Right. So what are you going to do with it? There's other parts in our lives where we can do something about it. But again, like the pessimistic side says, but to what end? Right? Like, you can fight against something, you can do something, but it's going to probably cost a lot of money, or it could cost relationships, it could cost a number of things. What is it going to cost you to change it, and is it worth it? So other times we need to get up and fight, because regardless of the cost, regardless of the relationships, it's worth it to do. But here's the thing that a pessimist needs to face, and the dilemma a pessimist needs to encounter on a daily basis when it comes to Jesus, is that we need to, we, we, we butt heads with hope. Pessimists will butt heads with hope on a daily basis. Because hope doesn't leave us going, well, what if, or how can we? Hope says, we might not do it all, but we'll do something. It might not be the best, but it's going to be incredible anyway. I know you don't think you can, but watch what's going to happen. Come be a part of it. Hope does more than what a pessimist can. It's good. It's good. We need the hope, right? We need it. Now, I know I've kind of like started and stopped on a number of different ideas. I'm going to do it again. But with this time, I, I need some audience participation. I need, I need some willing individuals that are good enough just to stand right up front and do nothing but stand. So Nikoda's one of them. I already told him he's going to be. So come on up because he's... He's our kid, and he can do that. All right, stand right there. Okay, now we can do we can do this junior high style, like in class, where I can just pick people, or if I can have eight more people come on up, that'd be great. Eight, yeah, just eight, and then just just kind of make a line. Actually, kind of go on down to the bottom step there. That'd be good. Uh, so I got four, and so I, I I need four more. There we got one more. There we go. I need three more. I need three more. Anyone? 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 Anyone, anyone? Libby, that'd be great. Come on up, Libby, that'd be awesome. All right. <laughs> so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I need one more, one more. Oh, there we go, and Sue's coming up. All right, so. Oh, no, Sue's getting up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We can still use you. We got seven. Come on up, Sue. All right, first off, everyone say yeah. It's great, all right. Now. I have them up here for this reason. I'm going to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. The different gifts that the Spirit enables us. All right. Now it says this. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given the Spirit um, through the Spirit a message of wisdom. We'll put mes- the wisdom over Sue. And then another, mes- uh, uh, another to another the message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another by a faith. By the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another one distinguishing the spirits, to another speaking in different kind of tongues. Oh, I need one more. Jim, come on up. You're close. You you get to do it. You're also a Dodger fan, so I got to like... All right, and then still another one, the interpretation of tongues. Now, stay up here, don't move, all right? Just give me like two minutes and they will sit down because it's going to make sense in a minute. All right, different gifts, different people. Keep that there, right? locked in there. Pentecost has a, a many, many, many good truths for us to have and learn from, right? But last week I said one of the biggest things is that we have this realization, this understanding that heaven is bigger than what we can imagine, Right? Okay. So, at the day of Pentecost, Jesus is doing the first 24-7 news thing happening, right? Many languages are being spoken of to get that out into the world very fast. Boom. Done. All these different languages are hearing the truth of God from different nations, different people, and they're, they're, they're talking about it. It's going out. Now, that moment passed. Passed. And still, because some people need it, which is great, some people still need the gift of tongues. Some people need to hear the miraculous word of God through someone speaking their own language for someone else who doesn't even know it. And when that happens, typically there's a body of believers around that might not understand what's going on, which is why we have Jim over there going, hey, I know what's going on. Let me tell you what's happening. That's good. That's good. I lost my spot. <laughs> Here it is. Great. All right. So, very quickly, the Church of the Nazarene, we believe this. One, just so you guys understand, we do believe in the gift of tongues. It's there. We, we don't dismiss that in any way, shape, or form, right? right? But we also believe this very much so, that everyone has the ability to be given a gift from God, a spiritual gift from God. And that every single one of those gifts is vastly important and needed because Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, remember that whole verse? It's kind of like the crux of us is who we are as a church. That we are made as what? Image bearers, Image bearers of God. So, I'm going to kind of jab it at other denominations that say, like, gifts is the only, uh, speaking in tongues is the only thing that you have. Sorry, if, yeah. If we were to look at this panel of nine individuals up here, we wouldn't look at them and say they have no value. Right? Because we believe that they are created in the image of God. And what we see and what we read in that First Corinthians passage is that the gifts of God are given at the Spirit's discretion. That is hugely important to understand, the spirit's discretion. So when we look at these individuals, and then we say, like, "Oh, Libby, you can speak in tongues, and that's awesome, and that's great. None of the rest of you guys can. Sorry. Like, that doesn't make sense. Because we aren't the spirit. So how can we discern what God is doing in the other individual's lives? Do you see where that kind of gets a little tricky? And all of a sudden, we're like, wait a minute, they're image bearers. So then what is God doing? What, how do they hear from God? Well, that's between them and God. All right, thank you guys. You can go sit down now. Like... The beauty of Pentecost is that like, God is opening this door for us to see that God is going to move in miraculous ways when we don't expect it. And we can't always put the best words to it to go, wow, here's the five things that I learned from it. No, like, sometimes we just have to sit back and go, God did. And God will do through all the different gifts that each and every one of us have. So you as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to make the assumption here, well, no, I'm not going to. That's bad. I'm not going to make that assumption. I know some people that come into this church aren't always followers of Jesus. They're searching, they're seeking, and they're, and they're asking questions. And it's great, and continue doing so. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you sought after him for salvation, you have been given a spiritual gift. The Spirit has enabled you with something. And that doesn't need to be compared to Pentecost. Because, yeah, when we read down through it, we read that Peter gave this incredible, like, Momentous, like, sermon, speech, message thing, and 3,000 people came to the feet of Jesus. That's incredible. But what's just as incredible is a person that you've been talking to, working with for 15 years, who have just started to turn the corner. That's just as miraculous. It's just as miraculous <laughs> as you might be helping out with grandkids or raising your own kids and seeing good things work through that. Because God is working through you. We're all a part of the harvest. And we all have different tools and different, different gifts. This quote I was reading through a book this past week said this. <laughs> Let me read it because I don't want to mess it up. It's possible to build a house without power tools. But it's just a lot more difficult. The beauty of the body of believers that we see through Pentecost and through all the different parts of Scripture is that there are many different ways that God moves. And if we all had the same gift and we all did the same thing, trying to do something different than what we're given the gift to do, yeah, we can get it done, but it's going to be really hard. see cuz what you do is different than what I do but those can still work together that's still going to be good stuff i don't know i think as a church we just need to embrace our own uniqueness and let it be and know that god is going to give us god desires And no, we might not have an Acts chapter 2 moment, but we have Acts moments all the time. So we're still in the game. We're still in the harvest. Keep going out and doing what you do. It's going to be good. I want to pray for us, and then i got a couple things that we're going to do here. And... uh, yeah, um, exciting times for sure. Let's just pray, Father. Thank you so much for the moment of Pentecost. For the for the truth that you work <laughs> miracles through unexpected individuals. That you work through people that <laughs> are the unqualified. God, you're incredible. So just help us to remember that in the, in the days to come. To that One, you are just incredible. But two, also you, you've given each one of us a spiritual gift. You've given each and every one of us a call, a drive, a purpose, and that we don't need to look at stories to say we didn't do that or people's experience and say we don't do that, but we can rest in the knowledge and the truth that you say but what you're doing for me is what I need you to do. So individually and our guests, let us work out in our faith, but also as a body of believers, may we just continue to just bounce off one another and and drive into those things and, and see where you bring us into the kingdom work. We love you. Once again, thanks for Amen. joining us at Orangewood Church. If you'd like more information or to contact us, head over to orangewoodchurch.org.